take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah chapter 12. Isaiah chapter 12. If you missed this morning's message, um, some of this will kind of be a little maybe incomplete, shall we say, um, because um, Isaiah is building on what we looked at this morning as he's then entering into a call for the nations to praise the Lord, and, and specifically for Israel to praise the Lord. And so uh, the joy of our hope is what I've, I've titled this sermon, and I think the big idea is that God deserves constant praise for his loving faithfulness. If you remember this morning's sermon, we discussed the fact that God's characteristics are described by righteousness and faithfulness, which leads to rest and also the recovery of the nation that has been spread around the world. And so Isaiah is telling these people, you have sinned, you have been horrible, you have disobeyed God grievously, and God should punish you very severely for your disobedience. But, right when those who are hearing Isaiah's message might have thought, all hope is lost, this looks pretty bad at this point, because keeps telling us bad things are coming and that we've been really bad Isaiah paints this beautiful picture of the hope that they have in the Lord Jesus Christ and he says Jesus Christ is righteous he is faithful he will one day rule the world in a perfect way there will be true rest not only rest for you but rest for the cow he doesn't have to worry about the lion anymore and the nations will be recovered much like Exodus. God will make the path easy for his special people who are all over the world to return to their promised land. And so this is a psalm that is praising God for really what we've looked at or what we've looked at, but extends all the way back to chapter one. Okay. So this is the response to what we've looked at. Take your Bibles. Let's read Isaiah chapter 12. And in that day, what day? Remember chapter 11, verse 10? Look at that. Um, and in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people. For the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Look at verse 11. It shall come to pass in that day. This is the day that he's talking about. He says, when this Messiah comes, when his kingdom is established, and everything's good and right, and there is true rest, unlike what we experience today, this is the response that you should have. In that day, you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. 
Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, the day that he's talked about in chapter 11, you will say, Praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord. For he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitants of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Father, we do thank you for the reminder that Isaiah gives us as he's drawing to a conclusion in this section that as we meditate upon our own fallenness, that there is nothing in us that should be desired by you. And the fact that we are so distantly separated from you by our sin that you allowed your son to come into the world to die and to take our place. And one day he is coming to reign in a perfect, righteous government. And you want us to rejoice in that and to take hope and to take comfort in the message of Jesus Christ. We pray that we would rejoice in this and that we would have the desire and that we would follow through with telling others about your greatness and your goodness in our lives as we celebrate the Christmas season with family and with friends so close. In your name we pray. Amen. He begins... And it's like there's a narrator that's kind of directing the people and telling them, okay, guys, in case this isn't just like a outburst of phrase that completely happens naturally on your part, this is what you're supposed to do when you see this. Because what I've just described in chapter 11 is not natural. The natural response is not for government to be completely righteous and faithful. We don't normally see the description of rest that occurs with those animals in chapter 11. That is not normal. We don't normally think of people crossing over huge seas in their sandals. That is clearly God working for his chosen people. When this happens, this is how you respond. And he says, first of all, you personally respond to this message. And so as you look at verses 1 and 2, the you is a singular you. In English, we don't really do this unless you're like from down south. They're like you, and then they're like y'all, right? <laughs> Up here, we typically don't use the y'all unless you're like really, you know, redneck. Um, but we just kind of understand it from the context. And, and what he's doing here is he's saying specifically, hey, you, when you see this, this is how you're supposed to respond to this. And then when you get to chapter 12, verse 3, he's saying, y'all, when y'all see this. And then in verse 4, 5, and 6, it's the corporate response. Everybody's responding. And this is how everybody responds to what they've seen in chapter 11. So chapter 11, or chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, how are they supposed to personally respond to this message? Oh Lord, I will praise you. It's a call for praise. He's telling them you have to praise God as a response to this message. 
why is he specifically telling them you have to praise them? Well, he tells them, this is exactly what you're supposed to say. He says, oh Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort He's telling them, remember all the bad things we've talked about you guys doing and how mad God is and how much you deserve God's punishments? And God even told me, go to Isaiah chapter 6, what does God tell him? I'm going to send you to a rebellious people. You will preach and they will not hear you, but that's okay. You just keep preaching because they're rebellious and they're not going to hear you. But I've sent you on this message. Okay, This is who he's telling this to in chapter 12. It says, God was angry with you, and yet he's chosen to forgive you and restore you and be your faithful, righteous king. And the only response then that is fitting to such love and faithfulness from God is to praise him for his abundant care. You know, this isn't, this isn't true. This is... Um, to, to think that we are living in the description of chapter 11 right now is wrong because we're not living in chapter 11. There's a lot of people that think that the song Joy to the World is right now. It's not. This is a far cry from God's ideal kingdom. And so how do we respond to this call to praise God when we're not there yet. How do we, how do we think through that? Because he's telling us when this day comes, remember that God was angry with you and you have been forgiven. And while we're not there yet, there are definite aspects to the Christian life that foreshadow or point us to the immense joy that is available in this coming kingdom. What am I talking about? Your salvation. You were alienated from God. You were separated from God. There was nothing that could make you desirable to God. And yet he sent his son Jesus into the world to die for your sins and for my sins so that you are forgiven so that you can be reconciled to God. That should cause our hearts to praise God individually. Individuals respond in praise. They'll respond in thanksgiving at this day. God is going to restore the rebellious and he comforts them. In verse 1, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. You know, I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I can tell somebody's angry with me. And you can watch them go from being angry with you to the place where they're not really angry with you. But it's very rare that somebody who's that angry with you was just a little bit later offering you serious comfort. Right? It's just hard for that relationship to be like fixed and we're all happy. Even in your marriage, you've had those times where you have a conflict with your spouse and something happens 
and your spouse is no longer angry, but it's sometimes difficult in that relationship to either be comforted or to seek to comfort somebody. But Isaiah says, not only are you no longer facing the anger of God, he is indeed comforting you in this coming kingdom. In times of certainty, we call to mind that God is Savior, so we trust him without fear. He moves on in verse 2, and he's still addressing the individuals. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah or Yahweh, the Lord, is my strength and God. And, and song, he also has become my salvation. What is he getting at? You know, there's lots of things that our world is afraid of right now. And it, it's not just coronavirus. That's like one of the things that people fear. Right now in, in African countries, there are um, groups of um, terrorists who are getting ready to march into a town, and there is an orphanage that's being moved. I would be afraid if I was an orphan that was being moved from my home because there are terrorists that are marching into my town. That's something that naturally we would be afraid of. There are people that are afraid of the election results in all sorts of different countries. And what does the psalmist say? He says, because God is his salvation, what is he going to do? He will trust in God and not be afraid. He puts trust and fear as two drastically separated options. And it's almost like if you do the one, you can't logically be participating in the other. He's my salvation, so I'll trust him and not be afraid. How then do we respond as individual believers who face uncertain situations, difficulties in our nation around us, difficulties and fears of viruses and the mutations of the virus that's happening in the UK? You know that uh, the coronavirus is now mutated in UK so much that the UK is now shutting down borders and not allowing people to fly into other European countries? But how do we respond? Isaiah says, you are my salvation, I will trust you and not fear. He ends his instruction for the individual here and he says, when we are tempted to fear and despair, we turn our focus to God. Why? Because look what God alone can accomplish in chapter 11. He is the one who is righteous. He is the one who is faithful. He is the one through a knowledge of him we find rest. He is the one who can only recover his lost people. He is our salvation. We will trust him and we will not be afraid. But he doesn't stop there. He doesn't just say this is something that is for you as an individual. He moves on. And he's going to say that there's a corporate response that is required as well. You know how difficult it is to get a corporate body of people to all share one emotion? Or be in one place? <laughs> okay? You guys know that. We've been working on it for a couple of weeks now. So that's, that's the illustration. Um, but what he's saying is, everybody here is going to share this emotion. 
everybody that gets to the description that is given in chapter 11 will share this emotion. Everybody's joining in. Everybody is praising God. Why is everybody praising God in chapter 12? It's because God is faithful. It's because God is righteous. It's because God provides rest. It's because God recovers his people. But he's going to clarify and, you know, give a couple of extra words and descriptions to what all this looks like. Isaiah reminds the nation that in that day, that is chapter 11, we looked at verse 10, we looked at verse 11. Um, Therefore, with joy, this is the commentator uh, Isaiah talking, Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And in that day, you will say, this is not the you of, like, only Allison. This is the y'all you. What is everybody going to say? Everybody's going to say, praise the Lord. Call upon his name. Why? Because they've individually done it, and they've found hope. They can place their trust in him and not be afraid. He says, you will tell everybody, call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the peoples. Make mention that his name is exalted. Sing to the Lord. For he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion. For great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. Everyone will want to proclaim God's grace to others. Everyone's going to be participating in this proclamation that, hey, God is truly good. Look at what he has accomplished with this rebellious people that... God told Isaiah, go and preach to these people, but they're not going to listen to you. You're pretty much wasting your time, but except I told you to do it, so you have to do it because that's your mission. But they're not going to listen. They're not going to change. They're going to continue on in their ways. But remind them that there is hope on the horizon. It's a long ways out from Isaiah, right? There is hope on the horizon. And once that hope comes and it's realized, the response will be this. Everyone will want to proclaim God's grace to others. God's glorious work shall be proclaimed in all the world. It's interesting. Uh, Let me try and find the... Maybe I'm picking up on a word wrong. Or maybe that's what it is. I use a different translation, so the translation doesn't translate it the same way. It's always bad when you do that. Anyways, uh, if you remember from this morning, in this morning's message, they translated glorious the same way. But in verse um, verse 10, and his resting place shall be glorious. I think it's the word excellent in another translation that's translated um, in verse 5. For he has done excellent things or glorious things. This is known in all the earth. God's word work in the land is great and demonstrates the holiness of God. This is one of Isaiah's favorite terms to use to refer to the coming Messiah. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. What's happening? God is dwelling with them in holiness, and they are able to see it and enjoy it every single day. And they're also enjoying all the results of a holy God dwelling with them. 
which is that God is faithful, that God is righteous, that he provides rest because his knowledge is known and he has recovered his chosen people. So because of all this, they are not only to individually praise God in verses 1 and 2, but they're supposed to corporately, all of them together, praise God. What does all this mean? What does this look like for you and I this coming week? It's Christmas. You're supposed to talk about what? <laughs> it's Christmas. You're supposed to talk about, you know, like the baby being born and things like that. But it really ties in. Because this year of all years, people don't have much hope. If you talk to just a few people, you'll find that out. People don't have much hope. People are more depressed. People feel alienated from family because they are. People are depressed because life's just really uncertain. And you and I have the privilege of knowing the future. And we know how they can know the future and have the rest that is talked about in verse 10. And while we're not enjoying it, and Isaiah right here is describing what we're going to do when we're actually enjoying the full description of chapter 11. We're not there yet. This world's far too broken to describe this as uh, joy to the world. This 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 is hard. There's lots of joy that happens still. But this is not full of joy and happiness. 2020 has had lots of difficult things. So how do we respond to this? Think we praise in personal and corporate. Praise is personal and corporate. So you and I are supposed to be involved in personal times of praise. We're supposed to be involved in corporate times of praise. Are you spending time praising God personally for the blessings that he has given you? That's interesting. He doesn't highlight primarily the physical provision that the Messiah will provide. He could have done that. There are psalms that highlight the physical abundance. But that's not Isaiah's concern. Isaiah's concern is primarily the spiritual concerns. What are those? You were a sinner condemned with no hope in the world. And yet Jesus Christ is your salvation. You can place your trust in him. And not be afraid of the uncertainties. Why? Because he paid the penalty for your sins. That's what he primarily says. This is our this is our source, this is our centerpiece for our personal praise. As you celebrate Christmas with your friends and your family, with your neighbors, and you has you have opportunities to do so, proclaim Jesus Christ is the source of hope. Why? Not because of what's here and now. Because your life might not be as bad as your neighbor's, but 2020 has been a hard year for everybody, even if your life has gone really quite well this year. There's something far more hope-filled that is coming, and that is the reign of the Messiah. Tell them about that. Tell them about the hope that will get them there. 
thank God for giving for forgiving your sins. That is the highlight of what he talks about in praising God. Is God has forgiven. The people who were rebellious and were sent a preacher and he was told, you know, go and preach, but they'll never change because I've hardened them. Go and preach them. These people are also told there is hope on the horizon. One day God will forgive you. He will no longer be angry. He will comfort you. And that is the same thing for you. Ephesians chapter 2 makes it quite clear that you and I were aliens from God. That we were separated from God. There was nothing good in us. And that God's wrath hung over our heads. And now we have been brought near we have been adopted. We have been made his children. And we share as co-heirs with Christ. This is something that we should be rejoicing in. This is the message of Christmas. And then for, finally, just real practically, you're going to be interacting with people that you don't always interact with. Personally, share your testimony with family and with unbelievers over this next week. You're going to have lots of opportunities to interact with um, people. People at the store, people that come to your house. Share your testimony. Point them to who Christ is and what Christ has done for you. And use the heavy weighty theological aspects of Isaiah 12 to shape and mold how you have those conversations. Father, we do thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your righteousness. We thank you that you provide rest for us through a knowledge of you. We pray that we would grow in our knowledge of you. We pray that we would spend time rejoicing in and praising you for your goodness to us. In your name we pray. Amen. We will have a business meeting in a few minutes. Um, I'm going to go.